in connection with Lord's Day 38, where we deal with the 36, where we deal with the third commandments, you shall not use the name of the Lord in vain. We will read two passages from Scripture. First of all, the psalm we also just sung. And then from Proverbs 18, we will read the verses 10 and 11. And we do that since in particular we will come back to in the sermon to Proverbs 18. So let's first read Psalm 8. To the choir master, according to the Githith, a Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. You've established strength because of your force to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? that thou art mindful of him, the son of man, that, thou, that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hand. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We turn now to Proverbs 18, two verses we will read from that chapter, the verses 10 and 11, verse 10 that speaks in a beautiful way about the name of the Lord. And then that the world seeks it somewhere else. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a whole high wall in his imagination. So far. Then we will turn to our confession. Lord's Day 36. Page 553 of your book of praise. What is required in the third commandment? We are not to blaspheme or to abuse the name of God by cursing perjury or unnecessary oath, nor to share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Rather... We must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence, so that we may rightly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in all our words and works. Is blaspheming of God's name by swearing and cursing such a grievous sin that God is angry also with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can? Certainly, for no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of his name. That's why he commanded it to be punished with death. So far, our confession. 
in response, we will sing about another psalm that speaks so highly about the name of God. Psalm 99, the verses 1, 5, and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This afternoon, dealing with Lord's Day 36 of the Harbour Kerkism, we will focus, as I mentioned it already, on the name of the Lord. Now, around us in society, this name is increasingly ignored, even worse. People often use this name as a swear word. Now, when speaking with these people, they don't mind that we have a different opinion. But as far as they are concerned, the name of God doesn't mean anything to them. Useless. Yet, beloved, even though in today's society, the vast majority of the people have no regard for his name. People rather boast of their own power. They don't need God's. Nevertheless, We believe, and then I think of the psalm we just sung, Psalm 20. We believe that God's name is the name of him who rules all heaven's forces. It's the name of our Lord, great in vain. In Proverbs 18, we read, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. A strong tower for all who take refuge in it. The name of the Lord. A strong power, tower. People in the world laugh about it. They don't realize that it's because of they laugh about it that they walk in darkness. They think that in trying to find solutions to their problems in today's society, they don't need God. And therefore, God's name hardly surfaces in public life. You only have to think back of the May election campaign, most of the candidates who stood for parliament had no regard for God's name whatsoever. Christian candidates were often mocked for what they stood for. Now you could say, did you expect anything else? Perhaps not. Yeah, brothers and sisters, we should not just take this for granted. For we also sung, the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. The late Dr. Abram Kuyper once wrote, There is not one square inch of our whole life to which the Lord Jesus Christ does not lay claim and does not say, it's mine. It's quite a statement. Not one square inch. Think of your life. And also of public life. And all that's going on in the world. Not one square inch of what the Lord Jesus Christ says, I don't lay, of which the Lord Jesus Christ says, I lay claim to that. It's mine. In Psalm 119, verse 46, it says that we must speak of God's testimony also before kings. And therefore, God's name cannot be excluded from public life. And so, brothers and sisters, we're dealing with the circumstance this afternoon, we should not only speak about all abuse of God's holy name by unbelieving people, or abuse at time even in the church, 
But we should also address the matter how to use the great name of our God positively. Remembering that in the third commandment, God is addressing his own people first. Teaching that we should always use God's name with fear and reverence. And that's the element I would like to highlight this afternoon. How to speak about, about God's name in a positive way. Putting emphasis not so much on what we should not, in which way we should not use the name of the Lord, but more positively, how we are to honor that name. How to speak highly about that name. Always. Because, and that is what we will focus on, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. I proclaim to you the word of God, summarized as follows. The Lord calls his people always to speak highly about his wonderful name. For God's name speaks of God's might. And therefore, the Lord does not allow his name to be used in vain, neither in word nor in deed. First of all, God's name speaks of God's might. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, the circumstance is interpreted as if it would say no more than you should not swear. You should not use the name of the Lord as a swear word. And true, also this abuse of God's name has everything to do with the third commandment. But there is much more to this commandment. And at times that can be easily overlooked. By way of example, among men, there is more to a person's name than solely the name by which he is called. You can say about a certain accountant or about a certain teacher, he has a good name. And then we don't refer to the actual name that person has, but to his reputation. That man, that, that, that woman has a good name. That teacher has a good name. Well, the same applies to the name of the Lord. In many places, Scripture speaks about the name of the Lord as a name of great renown, of great fame. And indeed, in this world, God has made a name for himself. Already right from the beginning when he created this world. The Lord, he's the Almighty One, the Living One, to whom belongs the earth and all its fullness, who rules all heaven's forces. And that's why we are not allowed to use the name in vain, as insignificant, as unimportant. We cannot use this name as a swear word. The name of the Lord is, is far too great for that. If you want to know about the greatness of the name of the Lord, think only of that psalm we just read, Psalm 8. In the psalm, David, impressed by God's creation, and the place of man within creation exclaims both at the beginning of this end of, and the end of this psalm, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. And look around in creation, with eyes sharpened by the word of God, but one cannot but come to no other conclusion than how great is this God. The heavens, 
the work of his fingers, the moon, the stars, which he has ordained, the whole solar system. God has all in his almighty hands, the whole universe. And God's, God's greatness becomes even clearer when we look at man which in creation. Every birth, a miracle of God's hands. A baby growing in the mother's womb, perfectly woven together, who doesn't stand in awe here. And I'll think of the realm of the flower, of the realm of nature, the flowers, the birds, you name it. See, that's how God has made a name for himself. And when you consider that, who would ever use the name of this almighty God in vain? It wouldn't come into your mind if you think about it. Who would ever say that this name is un unimportant, insignificant? You feel the level. That, that, that's, you can't do that. God is far too great for that. And then, I haven't even touched about God's amazing work of redemption. In this context, I'd like to note that in Psalm 8, David mentions God's covenant name. The name Lord with capital letters. That name, I am who I am. I'm the faithful one. You can always rely on me. With God, there is no variation or shadow of turning, James says in his letter. In the name of the Lord, with capital letters, God reveals to his people what I have promised will come true. I'm the God of your redemption. I'm the God of your baptism. If you ever doubt me, think of that name you wear as a mark on your forehead. The name of the triune God. In the Old Testament, many Israelites pleaded with thy name's sake. O Lord, what will come from thy name if thou would not redeem thy people? Moses pleads with that. After the, the Israelites had made a golden calf, and the Lord was to destroy. He said, but Lord, what about thy name? In all this, the name of the Lord is at stake. You can rely on him. His promises will come true. God's name. People plead with that name. That name becomes almost identical with God himself. I think of Psalm 54, where the author prays, prays Save me, O God, by thy name. Vindicate me by thy strength. Psalm 75. Thy wondrous works declare that thy name is near. And that name is near. Elsewhere, the scripture says it's on your mouth, on your lips, it's in your heart. That's where the Holy Spirit dwells. So near has God come, first in Christ and now in the Holy Spirit, He dwells within us. Well, love this for this reason. The Lord calls his people always to speak highly about his wonderful name. In scripture, both angels and men are summoned to ascribe glory to that name. Now, that word glory, that Hebrew word glory, is something that has as primary meaning something weighty in man. Something that gives a man importance. Well, the name of the Lord is indeed a name of great importance, a name of great weight. 
And that's why no one should ever belittle God's glorious name. Instead, we have to use this name with fear and reverence. With fear, that doesn't mean that we should be scared of the name of God. But it means that we should do, whenever you use the name of God, you should do it always with a proper awareness and respect of all that what God's name, God's mighty name, represents. Praising that name. And that brings us to Psalm 18. For that name is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it. And is safe. The name of the Lord. A strong tower. What did the author mean with that image? Now for a proper understanding. You think of a city under attack. Now the city is under attack. But the, the inhabitants. The citizens of that city. Feel safe behind the walls of the city. Because this city is a mighty fortress. No one can take it. We are safe in this strong city. Well, beloved, that's how the Lord, with his glorious name, takes care of his people. As God still we may, take, may indeed take refuge in the glorious name of the Lord as a mighty fortress. And that's how we commenced also this afternoon's worship service. Declaring our help is in the name of the Lord who created heaven and earth. And that's a quotation from Psalm 124. In the conclusion of this psalm, the author summarizes where he finds help amidst the dangers of life. There, in the name of the Lord. We commence every worship service with that confession. I could also say we Confess at the beginning of every worship service, our help is in the name of the Lord in which we take refuge as in a mighty fortress. Now the tower mentioned in Proverbs 18 verse 10 contrasts what we read in verse 11. Verse 11 is, is basically a reference to the Tower of Babel in which sinful men tried to find his strength. But it didn't work. And there was no need for it either. For you can call upon the name of the Lord, and there you will find your strength. Genesis 11, over against Proverbs 18, verse 10. The Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, over against Proverbs 18, verse 10. But that same contrast we also find in verse 11. I mentioned that already. It says there, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Again, a strong city, a high wall as images of safety and life protection. But in verse 11, these images are not connected with the name of the Lord. We read about a rich man who fancies himself safe behind the walls of his wealth. He fancies himself safe in his own imagination. Indeed, it's no more than imagination. It's all in his mind. It's all his wealth. This man can, can think that, that with his wealth, 
He can do everything. But he can't do, he can't do anything. And so, Proverbs 18, verse 10 and 11 teaches us not to put our trust in wealth and strength. But we should put our trust in the name of the Lord. Considering material wealth and all the pleasures included, considering this as a high protecting wall behind what is safe is an absolute delusion. If you think about life, you think about life. Well, if you're in your 40s, you are a bit concerned about your superannuation because if you're 65, you wonder if you have enough in your superannuation, especially in today's economic, economic climate. How will we survive a recession? The budget is tight. Perhaps I should look at some more investments. And, and so, so we can be busy with the things of this world to make secure that when we turn 60, there will enough be enough to live who knows how long. You know, there's a parable about that in Scripture. There's a parable about that. The Lord Jesus told once about a parable about a rich fool who thought he could enjoy life. He had many goods laid up for many years. The man thought he had worked hard for it. He could now enjoy life. It was worth the effort. Now he said to himself, take your ease, eat, drink, and be married. From now on, you can enjoy life. You have your superannuation full, and you can go traveling. But the parable continues. That very night, that rich man that had made all these beautiful plans for the future, God required his soul. Because the Lord Jesus said at the end of that parable, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Earthly wealth does not offer any, does not, does not offer any protection. Protection we find only in the Lord. You can worry about your superannuation. But what is it to worry about if the Lord calls you home tonight? In that moment, count that you have trusted the Lord. Forget about it. Of course, you have to be good stewards. But our safety does not lay in good stewardship. Our safety is in the name of the Lord. And that counts. For you don't know how long you will live. Are you ready to meet your Savior if it need be tonight? Have you put your trust in his glorious name? From the first part of the sermon, we learn that God's name speaks of God's might in the realm of creation, but in particular in the realm of redemption. That name Lord with capital letters testifies to the redemptive activity of God. I am who I am, faithful to my promises. You can count on me. Now it's the New Testament, church. We turn now to the New Testament. We know that this divine redemption came to full light in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. I mentioned that already. You can never 
correctly speak about the name of the Lord apart from Christ. As Christ himself once said, no one comes to the Father than through me. Indeed, to share in that redemption of God, of his name, Lord, its capital letters bears testimony, one must surrender himself to Christ. Acts 4, verse 12 reads, There is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had done what the Lord, what God the Father required of him, after he rose and ascended into heaven, it says in Philippians 2, he received the name which is above every name, so that every knee should bow at the name of Jesus. And that will happen. And the Lord returns. And he is indeed worthy of all honor, glory, and blessing. And therefore, no wonder, brothers, is that in the New Testament, we read many a strong warning against blaspheming this glorious name. And in these warnings, in the New Testament, we hear the echo of the third commandment. The echo of the third commandment where there, where there is a warning against blasphemy and, and all kinds of other warnings. Not to take the name of the Lord in vain, that means not deny the great importance of God's, God's name revealed especially in the life and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Around us in today's society, we see this name of God and his son Jesus Christ mocked and ridiculed almost everywhere, merely used as a swear word by the vast majority of the people. Now, brothers, in this, and that's, that's what you should realize, in this we see coming through what it says in Revelation 13 about the beast of the sea that gets the, crowd, the crowds behind him, blaspheming against God and cursing his name. When you read Revelation 13, you can read it tonight at home, you get an accurate picture of today's society. Blasphemy in the songs people listen to, the movies they watch. Perhaps not always actual blasphemy, but it surely comes through in the mockery of God's wholesome commandments of life. Don't worry about these commandments. Live life to the full. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Maybe they, they keep even more in mind that you can die. So make the most of life now, for you don't know how long you still have to live. So live it to the full now. God is ignored. And that despite the many warnings God's gift. Think of the warnings. Pandemic is a warning of God. And, and when you read about the war in Ukraine and so many other things, you see it almost happening when you read Revelation. And by all these things, by, by the signs of the times, the Lord is knocking on the doors of people's hearts and equally on our hearts. Know that as well. I'm busy. I'm coming with haste. And then you read Re Revelation 16, where it all is listed, the one after the other. And, and you see today's society almost as a picture going before your eyes and then reads. That's the, that's the routine verse of Revelation 16. And you see it also in the Old Testament when you read Amos. The ref refrain verse is this. 
and they did not repent. And they did not repent. Look at Australia. Pandemic. But they did not repent. They laugh about it, as far as that's concerned. They get a bit anxious so now, every now and then. But they do not repent of their deeds. Indeed, perhaps think of the ongoing pandemic, the war in Ukraine, the tension between China and Taiwan. Perhaps for a moment people are willing to stop for a moment. I remember clearly 2001 when the two planes flew into the Twin Towers. Some people almost thought it was the end of the world. What's happening now? This is something you can't imagine. And so people flocked to churches. Indeed, after the 9-11-2001, for a moment people flocked to churches because their security was falling away. How long did it last? A few months? And it was over. They did not repent. See, that's what it is. But it's the emptiness of life. Life is only found in acknowledging the name of the Lord. When I spoke about today's society, referring to those who do not believe, blindly follow the lying propaganda of the beast of Revelation 13. An unbelieving world that tramples God's commandment under feet. My beloved, how is that with us? How is that with us? We go to church, we read our Bible, we pray. But what, when tomorrow you are back at the building site, in the factory, in the office, at school, at uni, among your mates, can God listen to the music you listen to? Can God listen to the music you listen to? Can God listen to the language you use? Or is this perhaps music, language, you rather would love that God would not hear it? What about the movies you watch on Netflix? Netflix, or the clips on YouTube, on your smartphone? Would you take God next to you? God, take a seat and we go to watch Netflix. I put it to you. It sounds a bit strange, but that's what it is. God is always near. God, here is my smartphone. Look with me. There is nothing that honors thy name. Can you say that? Sometimes at the Bible study societies, on the social visits, you can hear lengthy discussions about how to go about a word mate that keeps on swearing. And of course, it is important to deal with such a person properly without aggravating. Yet, beloved, standing up for the name of the Lord to counteract the blaspheme word mate will have no effect. And a minute later, we listen together with this word mate once again to music that propagates a lifestyle dishonoring the name of the Lord with the lyrics about sex and love, which make totally mockery of God's commandments. 
Or when we start talking with him about the latest movie on TV, which contains the same mockery. Or when occasionally we use that common F-word as well. For what's, what's then the difference? You can say, well, you should not use the name, you should not swear. But if in the meantime you do the same as this workmate, what's the difference? The question is, do we dare to stand up for the name of the Lord? If it comes to the crunch, to stand alone, not be worried about when you will be laughed at, because this is the name of my father. No one should touch the name of my father. Dare to stand alone. There's a commentary of the book of Daniel that has this title, Dare to Stand Alone. And then we think of Daniel and his friends. And they came to the king of Babylon. And then they said, we're not going to eat that food. The Lord has forbidden it. Or more a bit further in the book of Daniel, there's this big statue. Big statue. And then the king says, oh, Hear the sound should go on your knees. Yeah. Now just a bit. You're all standing here. And you should all go on your knees. And then they look at the church building. And they stand out. Three young people. They say, we can't do that. The name of my father is at stake. There's a book, maybe some of you have read it, Rachel's Tears. It goes about the, one of the first massacres in America, the Columbine High School massacre in September 1999. So there was, the, there was this gunman, and, and she was one of the first ones shot, Rachel Scott. Rachel Scott. And this, gun, this, this gunman said, do you believe in God? She said, yes. And she was shot four times. Rachel Scott. Dare you dare to stand alone. See, that's the point. It can come to the crunch. If you read, I'm, I'm, I'm subscribed to some of these magazines about people under persecution, the voice of the martyrs. And you read these stories. Do we dare to do that? I think we have to do good. We have to do good with all our wealth. But think about these things. So I hope it has become clear that the circumstance is far more reaching than forbidding us to swear. In the circumstance, God teaches us an attitude to life in which we will fight for the name of the Lord in every area of life. To fight for it since, since that name is dear to us. It's written on our forehead. When we were baptized, beloved, also you young people, do you always wear that mark and emblem, the name of your Savior, as a faithful soldier in Christ's army? In other words, where do you stand? Are you casual about God's name? Or is this name indeed dear to you, so dear that you are willing to turn the music off? When the lyrics contains words that, that make a mockery of God. How can you listen to that? A mockery. And that means they make a mockery of God's revelation. That movie that has no regard for God's commandment whatsoever. Don't keep watching. 
even though perhaps you would like to watch how the story ends. There's also danger. Sometimes the name of God is used. Ah, maybe it was only for one time. There's so much tension in it. I want to see the end. And then you turn a deaf ear to all the times that God's name is used in vain because you want to watch that movie. So what's more important to you? The name of God or that movie? Let's go back to answer 100 of the Harbour Catechism. No sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of his name. Why is that? The answer is, in blaspheming God's name, we attack God's very person with all its holiness, righteousness, goodness, justice, and truth. In addition, such an attitude which God's name and, in which God's name and person are treated without respect for all his name is an attack on all that represents God's name. In, all, in other words, it is an attack on the salvation God offers. Everyone who abuses the name of the Lord, for example, has no appreciation for why the Lord Jesus came to this world. So not an abbreviation of that word Jesus either, as sometimes people do. Do you have regard? Are you overwhelmed that your Savior came into this world to save sinners? Using the name of the Lord Jesus, maybe as a swear word, means we scorn the gospel. That's what it means. You scorn the gospel. Note that the name of Jesus is the name of him who today in heaven has all authority in heaven and on earth. Would you dare to use that name of this mighty king in vain? And yet it happens. Not only in the world, but at times even by church members who should know better because they have been tailed thought about the rich meaning of this glorious name of their Savior. And sometimes it seems they can't be bothered. I want to refer to a text which sometimes causes a bit of confusion what it means. Uh, it's a text about where the Lord Jesus says, says something about blaspheming the Son of God and blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Let us go to that text, which is perhaps helpful what is meant there. Because sometimes people struggle with that. Matthew 12. Matthew 12, verses 31 and 32. Matthew 12, verses 31 and 32. But the Lord Jesus says the following... Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this days or in the age to come. What does that mean? Is blaspheming the name of the Lord Jesus not as bad as blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Of course, that's not what it means. So what does the Lord Jesus mean here? He spoke to people who basically were blaspheming him. The man of Nazareth, the Savior, come on, he's just the son of a carpenter. What, what, does, what does he mean, who he is? The Lord Jesus says, 
maybe that will be forgiven you. Why? God's revelation had not come to a full point. Because many who after the Lord Jesus had died on the cross, and many rose, and heard the gospel of Pentecost, came to faith. And maybe some of the people that had said, this rabbi of Nazareth, but all of a sudden, their eyes were opened, and they saw it. And the Lord says, that will be forgiven. But, blaspheme against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What does it mean? At the time that the Lord Jesus spoke these words, God had said, God has, had still one more thing in store to convince people. First his son came, and he laid the foundation. He rose, but God had one more thing in store. The Holy Spirit would be poured out upon his people. And now the Holy Spirit is here. And God said, this is all I have. And if you now blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, if you still not believe, if you still willfully turn your back on me, that's the end. Turn to Hebrews 10, verse 26 to 29. Hebrews 10, verse 26 through to 29. So, blaspheming against the Spirit is willfully failing to appreciate what came with the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. If you then deny that it says here in verse 26 of Hebrews 10, for if you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who sets aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? speaks about sin against the Holy Spirit. Now, most people, and I've had during my ministry of this question, that people say, yeah, but my life, I'm afraid that I have sinned against the Holy Spirit. Now, if someone says that to you, you can straight away say, you haven't sinned against the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you wouldn't worry about it. Because what is sinning against the Holy Spirit? These people don't worry about it. They laugh it away. Eat, be merry. We are okay. Don't bother us with the gospel. And it can happen also to people who leave the church. But there is still God's grace. There is still God's grace. And that's how we prayed for them. The way we want. Those drifting away. Let's reach out to them. Don't say they have left the church. I don't want anything to do with them anymore. Reach out to them. Is their salvation still at your heart? For it can be too late. And that counts for all of us. Also in the church. How is your life with Christ? And therefore, that's what the catechism means. No sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than blaspheming of his name. God doesn't tolerate that his name is mocked and ridiculed. He doesn't tolerate this. Today, no less than in the time of the Old Testament, when he commanded his sin to be punished with death. God will not hold him guiltless 
who takes his glorious name in vain. Be the words or deeds. Brothers and sisters, let us never make light of this commandment. But instead take refuge in his name. Honor God's name in all our words and works. In that strong tower take refuge to which the righteous runs and is safe. The righteous. Who's that? The righteous, brothers and sisters, is the person who does not try to get by in life to lay up treasure for himself. But he puts his trust in the Lord. In the name of the Lord, which is to the righteous a mighty fortress, a bulwark never failing. The Proverbs 18, verse 10, this righteous man runs to it. Amidst our life full of temptations, affliction, pain, sorrow, the righteous flees to God, take refuge in the one he knows he is reliable. He will always be there for me. I can pour out my heart, even in a broken prayer, but he's there. Brothers, this is to whom else shall we go? In his word, the Lord promises that he will answer these prayers. Psalm 50. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. I shall glorify you, and you shall glorify me. Yes, beloved, whoever takes refuge in this tower is safe. God's faithfulness never changes. His love endures forever. As a church, we are to proclaim this message to the world. So we are not to go almost in the monastery and say we are safe in this tower and have nothing to do with the world. Far from that. The two witnesses in Revelation 11 are killed, who speak about the great name of the Lord, are killed in the great city. Revelation 11. That's how we should be busy. We can do that by addressing the government or members of parliament about legislation that dishonors the name of the Lord. If, I think too much we keep silent about these things, almost taking it for granted that we live in an anti-Christian society. What, what, what do we expect else? But the earth and its fullness is of the Lord. That's what we confess. But we should also live this confession making sure first in our own lives that we never treat the name of the Lord as insignificant, be it in the language we speak or the way we act, but honoring this name, speaking highly of it. And then maybe if you do that, others might become interested. You don't know how the Lord will use your place in the office or on the building site when you live this faith. That someone may ask, how come it? That you can say this so joyfully. Have you never any anxiety? And you can say that you are weak. And say, man, I'm sometimes as anxious as you are. But I have a mighty God. In him I take refuge. And so I can cope. The world is watching us. Are we indeed sincere? Beloved, may that sincerity indeed show up in whatever we do, in whatever we are. Bear with dignity. The mark and emblem of the triune God written on your foreheads. Beloved, examine yourself. Is this always visible in your life? And don't look at others now in a pew. And don't call home and say, oh, there was a good sermon. I, well, oh, it's a pity. It's a pity. Brother B should be in church. If he had only that sermon. If you think that now in your mind, you're on the wrong track. You're on the wrong track. 
For the Lord is not in the first place this afternoon addressing Brother B, who might not have been here. He's addressing us, the ministry on the pulpit, and all of us. How is it with you in your life? Can you say, when the Lord would call you home tonight, I go to Father's house. God, I've always trusted in his name. So there is nothing to fear. That's the gospel you may take home.